0: Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Rachel, and you're probably not expecting my voice. You were probably expecting Mikey's. He is um, recuperating from, I don't know what he has, but with me in this super fun episode, we've got Jesse Marshall. Jesse, how are you doing?
1: Doing well, Rachel. It's good to be here as always.
0: Yeah, and we've got Jeff Patterson, who covers the Canucks for Rinkwide Vancouver, Sakaris so and Price. Uh, sometimes he's there for TSN. He's just kind of, he is the Vancouver guy. J-Pat, how you doing?
2: <laughs> the Vancouver guy. I'm doing good. Yeah. Great to, to catch up with you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, of course. So I the reason we did this is so um Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine and many other people from Pittsburgh have now found themselves in Vancouver. Um, and there's been no no news around the Canucks of late, absolutely none. But they were also in Pittsburgh, and that's ironically the market that Jesse's in. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to, to compare notes, JPack, kind of like, what are you seeing, Jesse, what you saw and how that compares to what you're seeing. So I don't know, Jeff, do you want to kind of just give us the year? They've been there for about a year now. I think yes. Patrick is a year tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, yeah. yeah what, are, what are your impressions of the, the year kind of on the ice, off the ice? Like what are the, what is the sense that you get kind of from this <laughs> management group?
2: Well, I mean, just by way of introduction, I suppose, for your listeners, uh, 22 years on the beat here, covering the Vancouver Canucks, born and raised in Vancouver, and really outside of six years that I lived and worked in Kamloops, uh, I have followed this team uh, growing up, and then obviously, for the last two decades plus, have uh, covered this team closely, Uh, have never seen anything like we have uh, just come through with the Bruce Boudreaux ordeal, but beyond that just the management style of the public browbeating of a head coach. And, and and it goes back to the way that they were all hired and the timing of it and the order, uh, and none of it made sense then, and none of it really still makes sense now. Uh, you know, a page has been turned here, and I suppose if anything can come of this, and I'll give her talking an opportunity to, to try to be the guy that gets it sorted out here, but, uh, you know, I, I just want the noise to – be lowered a little bit the volume uh and this come from a media guy that you know they're just giving us so many talking points but um yeah i mean bruce never stood a chance he was clearly never their guy and it just it was so unfortunate the way that it all played out publicly you yeah, know as for management style I think people here in Vancouver were excited about Jim Rutherford because of not only the Stanley Cups and the championship pedigree, but this reputation as a guy that just couldn't st- you know stay patient and couldn't help himself was making a trade a week. And like he's been on the job thirteen months. And it's remarkable and to some degree ridiculous, how little activity there's been. And there are reasons for that, obviously, with some of the contracts that uh, they did inherit. Uh, <laughs> but still, but still, I think people have been pretty disappointed that uh, there just hasn't been more activity, and now it starts to feel like sort of paralysis by analysis. That you know they know they recognize that they've got to get some of these deals absolutely spot on, and certainly Bo Horvat's at the top of that list. And I'm not saying rush to judgment and just pull the trigger on a trade there, but at some point, if you need cap space and cap flexibility. You know, sitting and talking about it isn't going to make it happen. And so, uh, there's just been this, I guess, inactivity is the word. And I think as we've gone here over the the past year, it's been pretty apparent. And and if it wasn't that press conference just over a week ago that started with the doctors, but then morphed into this crazy State of the Union. Uh, It was pretty clear for all to see that Jim is the dude in charge, that Patrick Alveen has the title of GM. I think he does a lot of the day-to-day, the phone calls to other GMs and sort of feeling teams out and those types of things. But make no mistake, the buck stops with Jim Rutherford. He's the president of Hockey Ops. And I thought he made it pretty clear to all uh, that he was asserting himself in that moment and uh, you know, he's taken some ownership. He yeah, had the apology for Bruce at the other press conference. There's been a lot of press conferences here of late. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where I say, bring the, lo- you know, just bring the noise level down. Uh, I hope that they aren't in a position where they have to change coaches again because two in 13 months is uh, too many, quite frankly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just been a ton to chew on, but ultimately the On Ice product is unacceptable, has been for too long now. And we'll see what the new head coach and, you know, their head coach if they can finally start as patrick valine likes to say brick by brick uh move this thing in the right direction
0: yeah like jesse i mean jay jay pat you you talk about talk it and he's kind of their guy and i think you look at it it's basically like okay we're bringing in like Derek clancy who was in pittsburgh you got scott young who was in pittsburgh frank golden who was in pittsburgh so whether it's like the scouting department the development staff the management the coaches like it just seems like we're just going to bring everything from from pittsburgh here uh, the problem and i don't know how many people have noticed this is uh vancouver doesn't have Sidney crosby or evgeny malkin um so jesse like what is what is how do you see talk at working especially like with the whole jt miller whisperer thing that's that's being floated around right now
1: I really do think, Rachel, that that's uh, a sort of a piggyback off of Rick Tockett's work with Phil Kessel here, right? I mean, Phil Kessel always had this reputation, correct or not, of being this like aloof talent that you could never rein in, right? He was gonna fly the zone, not really play all that physical, do like some annoying things. He was also gonna probably score fifty goals. And I think what Rick Tockett did was was sit down and find like sort of our harmonic balance between what Mike Sullivan wanted. He was the translator, Rachel. He translated what Mike Sullivan wanted to Phil Kessel in a way that Phil Kessel would respond to. And it was sort of like a player's coach kind of a guy. Uh, and then the work that he did, I have to be honest with Phil Kessel on the power play was, was phenomenal. He got Kessel to take the puck, Rachel, and walk it off the wall and into the slot. And so many things happen when you do that. You have passing options that open up. Uh, you, know, you 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 have uh, uh, clear shooting lanes for a guy that has one of the best shots in the National Hockey League. And he got so much more out of him, I think. But that's such a specific situation, Rachel. Like, there's only one Phil Kessel, right? And Phil Kessel, in that state that Rick had arrived in, wasn't the kind of player that was tearing the locker room to shreds, right? He wasn't, uh, everyone loved him, right? It just needed a little bit more out of him individually. And I don't know that the JT Miller situation right now is all that similar to him when I see him, like, really upset on the bench. You know, he's, you know. I think there's been moments this year where you've seen he just he, there's been some anger with him. And and I, I don't equate these two things to be the same. So I think it remains to be seen as whether or not this is going to work. But I think a lot of this comes from the work that he did with Kessel. It was supremely successful and they had a phenomenal relationship. But is that replicatable? Is that personality based? I think we're we're really we're about to find out the answer to those questions.
0: Jake, what, do you, what do you, now that you hear that assessment of it from somebody who's kind of I guess like saw that, what what do you think Because you know JT Miller kind of I think better than a lot of people do, right? You're you were in there day to day like you said basically since he's been here. Yeah. Um and so when when you hear something like that, do you think like is it maybe a reach to say that Talk It is going to be the JT whisperer or should we even be concerned like that they had to hire a whisperer for a guy whose contract hasn't started.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the starting point, but make no mistake uh, that those dynamics are at play here. There's no doubt. Uh, You know, one of the things I like about JT Miller is he's unvarnished, a little rough around the edges, and he has been a guy that's, you know, not been afraid to uh, sort of call it the way he sees it. And that first year he was here, uh, he was good. The team was really good up until COVID hit. and, and, And then obviously, last year with his 99 points, uh, but it has not gone particularly well. And just for a lot of the things that Jesse outlined and, you know, the outburst, the public one uh, on the ice, uh, you know, Colin Delia behind the net there with the, oh. in Winnipeg, like you just, you can't be doing that kind of stuff. And, and so I think uh, the question is, like you got JT Miller, who I think fashions himself as an alpha guy and Rick Tockett now is the head coach. And we know how he played and the way that I think he likes his teams to play. And it can go two ways. Like, you know, I think they can sort of channel their energies as alphas and maybe there will be some synergy there, or uh, the potential is so clearly there for these two guys to butt heads. And, you know, if, and when that happens, what does that look like? What does it look like uh, on the ice? What does it look like for JT's uh, production? Um, You know, where are they going to use JT Miller? Because uh, they started him at center. It was a complete disaster this year. Uh, Bruce Boudreau, had no choice. He had to get him out of the middle and play him on the wing. But if you trade Horvat, uh, all of a sudden this team's pretty thin down the middle. And I think uh, the idea is that JT Miller will be a center. And I thought it was fascinating. Second game under Rick Tockett. And obviously it wasn't going well in Seattle, but JT Miller played 10 minutes at even strength. One forward played less Whoa. at evens. And it was Jack Studnicka. And- you know, third period was garbage time and I uh, you know I, I don't know if if it was a case of talking wanted to see some other guys in some situations uh whatever the case I mean it jumped out to me that JT Miller played 16 minutes on the night only 10 of them and it was 10 even uh at even strength uh those are just numbers that we're not used to seeing when it comes to a guy that uh as we said is one of the leaders and also uh is going to be paid like one of the leaders so uh you know, I can't imagine that there'll be a lot of 10 minute, even strength nights ahead for JT Miller, but uh, clearly the coach saw something there uh, that he wanted to see other guys uh, in the third period in Seattle.
1: Chief, I have to ask you a question um, because you mentioned something to, at the beginning of this, at the beginning of this show that has been in my mind since you've said it. And, I, and you may not have an answer yet because it's so early and that's okay. And we could just talk about it. Uh, you mentioned that you kind of got this clear delineation, right? Of who is in charge, right? Right. Jim Rutherford's the guy at the front of the lines. It seems like he's making a lot of decisions. And you specifically call out this hockey ops role that he's in. I find this dichotomy so interesting because he left Pittsburgh because we believe anyway, or the word on the street, if you will, is that he left the hockey ops in Pittsburgh in a really bad state. (laughs) So Brian Burke comes to Pittsburgh with the implicit sort of direction of rebuilding hockey ops starting from scratch, coming in, new vision, ground up, get some organization under this boat and, and stop the list. Uh, have you noticed anything yet with Jim Rutherford and his role that has stood out to you about how he's approached it? I'm just I'm just wondering, it, to me, there's just a dichotomy here, right? Like he, he's in this role now and this hockey ops role, you know, he's got this GM that's working under him. It sounds very much like a Jason Bottrell situation like we had in Pittsburgh. And I just, you know, I wonder too, and this is a question for both Rachel and JPAT. How long is that okay for Patrick Alvin, right? Um, because this is a guy I think everyone sort of said put his time in, in Pittsburgh um, and for years uh, was central to a ton of scouting decisions. He branched the market, uh, the scouting group in Pittsburgh out into Europe uh, so much. I can't even, I cannot understate that enough. Um, you know, the Penguins are really centric to North American scouting before his arrival. So I, I guess my question is, um how long is that is this a tenable situation and is there anything that stood out about Jeff, Jim Rutherford's rather other than his obviously his very public uh, approach to the position but from a hockey ops perspective Jpad have you noticed anything different um in his time there so far
2: well the one thing we haven't noticed and sort of coming at your question a little backwards is uh you know Patrick Elvine just hasn't had much of a public profile. And I think that's partly by design. I don't think that that's his favorite part of the job, but in a hockey market like this one, when you're a GM in a Canadian market, you, you have to have some visibility. It's just it's sorry, it comes with the territory. People have questions. The media got questions and want answers. And so I thought it was fascinating, like absolutely fascinating. Uh, we hadn't heard a word from Patrick Galveen publicly. He made a, an appearance on Hockey Night in Canada on December 17th after the Canucks got absolutely smoked on home ice by Winnipeg, and it didn't go well. And he didn't have much to offer in the, you know, sort of uh, just the overview of the hockey club, the direction, all that kind of stuff. But he got absolutely panned uh, by the fan base. And we hadn't heard from him. Until the press conference the other day to introduce Rick Tockett, and the first words—and this was all very calculated—because I'm talking about Jim Rutherford being the the guy in charge. Alvin's the first guy to speak at the press conference, and the first words out of his mouth were, "This morning, I decided to make a change," and I just thought, like, that is wild stuff right there. Like it was so clear that you know he was basically pounding the table and this is my you know I'm the captain now. Um, And then he says, I I made the decision this morning. By the way, I've got Rick sitting right here beside me, and we've got this press conference all good to go. And I, you know, like, sorry, like, it it was the decision months in the making. We know that. Uh, So I don't think anybody was fooled by it. But I just thought the optics of him coming out and saying, you know, I decided this morning, uh, it was as forceful as we've seen Patrick Elvine later in the press conference as well. He was pushed a little bit. Uh, You know, I think part of the issue here is and Rutherford has stated it, and this was really the first time that Patrick had addressed it, look, there hasn't been a lot of winning in Vancouver, and obviously, they've never won the Stanley Cup. And I think Patrick and Jim understand that part of it. And Patrick alluded to no banners. He kept coming back to that at the press conference the other day, no banners. And he's right. There isn't a Stanley Cup banner. Uh, They've been to three Stanley Cup finals, been to a game seven twice, uh, but they haven't got it right. But the angst in the market isn't that there's not a Stanley Cup banner. That's the end goal for everybody. People want to see the Canucks win a Stanley Cup. But the frustration of the fan base over this dark decade, there hasn't been a home playoff game at Rogers Arena since 2015. Like the only time they've been in the playoffs was when they got invited to an expanded tournament in the bubble in Edmonton and they had some success. But in terms of Canuck fans being able to buck up and go and watch a playoff game at Rogers Arena, 2015, Bo Horvat was a rookie. And that's the last time, and it's not going to happen this year. And it probably won't happen next year. And if it doesn't happen next year, like that's the spring of 2024. Like we're talking 10 full years between. And so it's just that all the shortcuts of ownership, you've probably heard those stories. The fan base is upset that a team that's been down this long, that's been spending to the cap, that's been doing these win now moves, like there's just been nothing that has indicated from any of these management groups a willingness to step back and do it properly. And the fan base is totally on board. Like this idea that the fan base won't accept it. They've accepted the past decade and have, you know, just been smacked around. Um and so yeah, I mean a year into the job, just to kind of bring it back to your question, I, I think people are still trying to figure out like what is this management style? Uh because they really haven't done I mean they've nibbled around the edges, Ethan Bear and Travis Dermot and uh, Riley Stillman, those guys clearly aren't the answers because it's the one of the worst defensive teams in the National Hockey League. And you know they made a concerted effort. They went and they spent on Brock Besser. They went and they landed Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, they committed J.T. Miller. Uh, and so yes, they inherited some bad contracts in a bad situation, but they didn't do an awful lot to you know whatever cap space they had. Uh, they spent it on wingers, and they. You know, they, they could have made some hard decisions to step away from some of these guys. They could have uh, spent money on the defense corps. Uh, nobody predicted that Thatcher Demko was going to get injured. And, and even before he got hurt, uh, he was struggling. Like, you know, so nobody saw that coming because this is a guy that was an all-star last year, uh, got a Vesna vote. Uh, you know, he looked like he was on the cusp of really entering elite goaltending, but ultimately that goaltending just masked so many of the team's pro- problems a year ago. So uh, we're a year in with this management group, and I still don't really have a sense of their vision. Like they haven't laid out a plan here. Um, you know, the Horvat situation is going to be a tipping point. Uh, when I talk about inactivity, uh, something's about to, to happen. Like we we know that we don't know what that looks like, but they've got to get this thing right and. Unfortunately, I think uh, they may have known when they took the job, both Jim and Patrick, that there were issues, my hunch is, and Rachel would have a better sense. Uh, whether she can say anything, I'm not sure. But but I think they quickly recognized that it was a bigger challenge than they probably thought when they jumped on board here.
1: That's great insight, G-Pat. I, and I want to mention something to both you and Rachel, because we have to talk about the situations that that this group has inherited in both Pittsburgh and Vancouver and how vastly different they are. The the vision for me always felt very short term, very short term. And I'll give you an example: uh, win two Stanley Cups, huge achievement, back to back, first team in the modern era to do it. They beat the Washington Capitals along the way two times, right? Fell the Dragon successfully twice. Didn't even need seven games to do it, right? Uh, on the back of winning that second Cup, they trade a prospect and a first round pick to get Ryan Reeves as a solution to their, quote, Tom Wilson problem. <laughs> and everyone in Pittsburgh said, what is the problem? <laughs> what is it? Sure, he, he plunked a couple guys over the head. You didn't get out of the series uh, unscathed. You're rarely going to in the, in the postseason. That's just the nature of the beast I'm playing hockey that time of year. But that wasn't a problem that needed to be solved, right? So in and, and that same theme, Carl Hagelin, Patrick Hornquist, two really vital elements of this team uh, in in the day and age that they played there, uh, really the crux of the Mike Sullivan system. They stir the drink in a lot of ways. And Jim Rutherford, short-term vision, not going well right now. My team's in a slump. We're shooting percentages down. We got to do something to change it. I'm going to trade Carl Hagelin for Tanner Pearson. That had a huge impact in the room, right? It had a huge impact. Maybe not the impact that he thought it was going to have, Tanner Pearson, barely with the team for a year, moves on, ends up with the Canucks for Eric Goodbury. You know, it just those moves, it, it, uh, there were times, I think, and Canucks fans are going to hate listening to this, and I really do apologize <laughs> to them. I'm not trying to make Canucks fans upset. But, you know, now having like the the knowledge that j gave me about the, the the sort of the vibe up there and what the uh, uh sort of the pain points are, everything sometimes I think in Pittsburgh felt too whimsical, right? That's the best word I could use is that, we're having a problem right now. It's not a big problem and it's only been a problem for a very short time. There's a short-term solution to it, but we're going to make this sweeping change. It's going to bring in all these new and it just felt sometimes like it was over the top. So, um I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, because I think being in win now mode, I think put them in this frame of mind where like, you know, asset management all that aside, we need to get we need to be good today, right? That's the number one Focal point is making moves that are good for today, and it from a vision perspective. And I think even the things that I'm hearing right now, it's almost like that long term piece isn't there, and they 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 operate very much in the now. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it it nets you huge wins, uh, and I think sometimes it ends you. Uh, it gives you problems that you have to solve that you didn't have before. Right? You've now worked your way into having potentially more problems. Uh, And you now have to find a way to trade Tanner Pearson. You didn't have a Tanner Pearson problem a month ago. Right. So it's it's that, that whimsicality of it. um, You always are kind of very much in the seat of your pants um, with what's going to happen next.
2: They, when I said that they came in and and probably figured out quickly that it was tougher. Like I, I have no doubt that these guys are smart hockey guys. Like I'm sure they had done their homework, but uh, you know, just for the people that don't know, and and I think most of the Canucks' <laughs> dirty laundry's been aired, so hockey fans uh, understand. But like capped out, a terrible defense core, and next to nothing in the system. And one area I will give this group credit is that they do seem like they have addressed and made some shrewd moves and hires uh, at the AHL level. And we know in Pittsburgh that they used Wilkesbury fairly heavily, and were able to groom and promote guys, and and you know guys that were parts of those cups that you mentioned. I think that is the vision, and bringing in Jeremy Colliton, an NHL, you know, guy with NHL head coaching experience at the American Hockey League level. It sounds like he's doing a nice job, but you know that doesn't turn over overnight, obviously. Uh, and so I think that that's still a long game for them, but that's one area of the franchise that they do seem to be making some strides and some steps in the right direction. They've devoted a lot to player development, getting guys like Daniel and Henrik Sedin involved. Like that was a, you know, that was a good move. Um and I think it is paying off, but uh, you know, it's going to be a while still just because they haven't, you know, this is again, when I go back to the frustration of the fan base for a team that was down and people here would watch all these other teams weaponize cap space and take on bad contracts, but get assets and accumulate draft picks and all those types of things. And here were the Canucks spending the cap year after year after year, uh, not going to the draft table or the podium, you know, more than their allotted picks in a given year. And yet they were it's a lot of years they were trading picks away and they're still doing it with you know to get out from under Jason Dickinson having to to pedal a second rounder to Chicago. Um, and obviously the goods that left town in the oel and the Connor Garland trade uh, yeah I mean it's just it's been a mounting frustration for so long that this team th- they watch other teams and other general managers and management groups do the types of things that just it just makes sense it's common sense when you're down to make some of those types of moves to weaponize cap space and this organization like they you know that that term got used an awful lot under Jim Benning and now Jim Benning's not here anymore but I, I'm still not convinced that that past regime fully grasped the concept of weaponizing cap space. Uh, they kept spending all of their cap space on on what uh, you know on a bad hockey club. So uh, it's a new group here, but at some point, like you can't blame the past regime. Like these guys were brought in, they were hired because what was happening here wasn't working. And yes, there is some carryover and transition from one group to the other. But you can't play the blame game. Like the blame game doesn't work in this market anymore. People want action, and they don't care about the situation you inherited. And it's been a year now. Quite frankly, I think it is long enough that you know you'd like to feel by now you'd have a vision of what they're they're planning to do. But uh, you know, went through last year with the whole J T. Miller trade talk that never came to fruition, and then you know, sort of out of nowhere they re-upped and committed to him. And so now everybody's on pins and needles just because uh, it's going to be Horvat, and through no fault of Bose. You know he's getting squeezed. He's getting forced out of town, and he's having the season that he's having. And so again, it's just kind of round and round. So many things that don't make sense, but this is what happens. This is all sort of the result of bad fiscal management, uh, you know, on previous regime. But as I pointed out, this group is culpable too with some of the signings and the commitments that uh, they have made in their first year on the job here.
0: Well, it's it's interesting that you say that because I I have a theory listening to both of you, and it's something I actually it kind of the first time it hit me, I was still employed there. And I was like, well, better not say this because this would definitely get me fired. Um, I think that part of the reason, I mean, if you remember this, Jeff, they, when they put Stan Smeal in charge, God bless that man. I miss him so much, <laughs> but like they said, we're going to do this exhaustive search and we're going to talk to people and this, that, and then like Jim was hired four days later. Yeah. And I think part of the reason Francesco and it was Francesco um, picked jim is because he saw what he did in pittsburgh with the win now mode and was like oh he can do that here when i think he probably failed to recognize that some of the most important pieces holding the pittsburgh penguins together are not members of the vancouver canucks and i think that that's kind of part of this but like you said it's been a year and now like you you can't blame Jim and Patrick for the OEL Garland deal. Like that's not fair that they got saddled with that. But you also, I mean, I got to tell you, like, I was pretty convinced we were trading JT, like pretty convinced. And when I got the phone call, probably maybe a day before it broke that we were signing JT, it came out of the blue. And at this point, like I had actually been really involved um, it came out of the blue, and I could tell you that um, I I basically was like, "What? <laughs> Why?" Like that was my reaction. I was just so taken aback. And then this was on the heels of like already signing somebody like Ilya Mikheyev, and Ilya Mikheyev is a good hockey player. And obviously, we had hoped when we signed him that he would help with the penalty kill because he is one of the league's best penalty killers. But at the same time, like, is that? forward thinking or is that the win now kind of principle that Jim Rutherford's seems to have always lived on and and for me like this this notion that Francesco's not involved is hilarious because if he wasn't involved why was he sitting next to me when we were doing free agency like literally right next to me I I just don't understand that so I think you're right like they've they can't take responsibility for some of the other stuff but they can absolutely take responsibility for those two contracts and the fact that now they're going to lose Bo and the Kuzmenko thing. Like, what do you think about that? Because I'm of the mindset that there's almost no comparables to what Kuzmenko's done. You can't compare him to Panarin and this team's strength is wingers. Like, are you not better off trading him? Would you re-sign him for the PD angle? Like, how would you handle that?
2: Yeah, this one's fascinating to me. I, I, I'm on team trade. I just think uh, if you can, you know, if if you could get a first round or a late first round or even a second rounder plus for a guy that's played 40 games for you, I, I think you have to look at that. Uh, and again, there's talk of this bridge deal. Uh, they're not going to be in any sort of contention window in the next couple of years. So uh, yeah, it just it feels to me like an asset that they would be better served. Uh, moving and and look, he's been fun. He's been a great guy to deal with. The personality, you know, through the roof. The fans have embraced him. All that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, 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 to me, I would see if you couldn't uh, find a team, just because uh, and you're right. It's so rare on an entry level deal. I mean, he's basically a free player against the cap uh, for any acquiring team for this year, at the very least. And the guy's got 21 goals. Uh, now he's played with Elias Patterson. There's been a perfect fit there. They've got chemistry. They're friends off the ice. And there's no guarantee when you get dealt, there won't be, an, we know there won't be an Elias Pettersson, uh, but you don't know what the situation is going to be uh, if you're Andre Kuzmenko. So there could
0: be an Austin Matthews. like <laughs>
2: Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, this guy doesn't have a track record in the playoffs. Um, yeah. You know, and, and not to knock him, but like he has scored the bulk of his goals at home. Um, you know, in the playoffs, you got to be able to produce home and away. I think it's a 14 7 split. So two thirds of his goals have been on home ice. Um, but again, like, entry-level deal for a guy that's got 21 goals right now I do think he'd be attractive for uh, teams that are looking for a little bit more scoring depth second unit power play guy probably because uh, acquiring teams are probably you know they're going to the playoffs they've already got good players so I don't know that he would plug right in on a on a first unit power play where he has been here in Vancouver but man you and uh, Rachel you you mentioned that keeping PD happy angle like uh, what like what is the vision like wh- this is going to be the biggest organizational decision that this. Franchise has faced in a long time. How do you sell? Uh, and and we've seen this. Like Players have more power than ever. When you see a Matthew Kachuk sort of brokering his own exit out of Calgary, you know, player and Petey's a shrewd guy. Um, oh, he's smart. He is right. no dummy. So, so like <laughs> I just I can't for the life of me. You're going to trade away Horvat. You might trade away Kuzmenko. And then you've got to go to Pedersen and his camp. And obviously, he's represented by the best in the business. Uh, you know, we're talking about Pat and, and J.P. Berry. Like, what do you sell those guys on? That's gonna get Elias Pettersson to think, yeah, this. Like, as much as he might love the city, this guy got. He wants to win. Like, he was great in the bubble. His one taste of playoff hockey. He was, you know, a point a game guy, and and that's what got people excited because in the playoff bubble, it was the first look for Pettersson at the playoffs. It was first look at Hughes. Uh, Horvat was in double digits in goals Demco, Bubble Demco. like you know they came out of the bubble they were one of the sexy teams in the NHL and it's just it's incredible to think from there to here uh how far it has uh, fallen off the map for this group and and so yes I I I can't even begin to think of what the the opening pitch would sound like from the Canucks to Elias Patterson in his camp about some sort of long-term vision to make him stay. So that absolutely is front burner issue here in Vancouver, and it is not going anywhere until it reaches a resolution.
0: All right. Well, I mean, that is like, yeah, I've got my own thoughts on, on what PD may or may not do, <laughs> um, and it would probably get me in a whack load of trouble if I publicized them. <laughs> spill, uh, spill, me. <laughs> But I think I think you kind of nailed it, right? You have to be able to sell your best player a plan so that they want to be there. And at the bare minimum, like even if the team isn't good now, you need to show that there's some level of um, functionality and and foresight off the ice. So that he says, okay, like if I resign here long term, I'm eventually going to have a chance to win. There's nothing worse than sitting there as a player wondering, like, never mind, am I gonna win? Am I gonna play meaningful playoff hockey at this point? And and so I think that's that's gotta be, like you said, that's gotta be talking point number one.
2: Um well, and I, I think wanna... quickly just too, if 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 you had a farm system, if you had You know, one of the top prospects in the world waiting in the wings. And you said, like, just be patient. In two years, this guy's going to be here and he's going to burst onto the scenes but they don't have that. Like, again, the cupboards are bare here. So it, you can't even sell the hope of kind of what's underneath him at the American Hockey League level. And the way it's going, they're going to be a middling team in the draft and, you know, get a seventh or eighth overall pick. And and you're not likely to knock it out of the park there, even though it is a deep draft. And you might be able to find somebody uh, at that draft position. But that's why there's just so much talk in this market about tanking for Connor Bedard. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the bottom can ultimately fall out. And the other reality, uh, as somebody that's lived through it uh, in Vancouver, is the lottery balls never bounce their way, anyhow. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's not a whole lot of hope in that regard either.
0: Us and us people in Toronto and Pittsburgh don't know what that feels like. But at the end of the day, uh, Jeff, we just want to thank you for for joining us. This has been super great, and um, you could check Jeff Patterson out. Uh, he has his rink-wide podcast, pregame, postgame general coverage he's on the sicaris and price show he does a lot of great work and honestly um i can't like he put out the statement that the team um did not credential him and trust me i have my own thoughts on that but jeff does fantastic work and so um if you're looking for proper coverage of the canucks he's the guy to go to and uh thanks for joining us today jeff
2: yeah no, it's a lot of fun Uh, good discussion